story brought down in a book by Rabbi Echiel Spiro called uh, Touched by a Story. It's, he brings down that on the 50th yard site of Rebaran Cutler, so Rebaran Cutler's grandson in law, Reb Uren Reich Schlita, who's a Rashiva in, uh, in New Jersey. He also happens to be my sister in law's brother. Um, so we're a little Mishpacha with Reb Uren Reich. He told over that when Reb Aaron Cutler passed away in 1962, I believe, it was, uh, it was uh, devastating for the world of Torah and the, specifically for the yeshiva in Lakewood and the mashkiach of Lakewood who ran Lakewood along with Reb Aaron Cutler, Reb Nassim Vachtfeigl, who famously was one of the Yidden who is, the stories are told about, always had his suitcase Always had a suitcase packed. They say this about the Chafetz Chaim. Um, my mother, Zechariah Levracha, used to, uh, you know, have her clothes prepared. She knew which dress she was going to wear when Mashiach came, when her Beitan Feiner was here uh, just a couple of weeks ago. So he told me he, 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 he was telling, he was in a conversation with, with somebody, and he said, You should know, when I was in Eri Yisrael, I remember Mrs. Tenler. Mrs. Tedler had her, her dress was always ready. And this lady says, this lady says, well, I'll tell you something. Mashiach comes, I don't even need a special dress. I'm just taking my phone and going. <laughs> he says, that's the problem. <laughs> All you need is your phone, right? All you need is your phone and you're going. That's it. Right? But there's, there, there are people who lived with Mashiach being right in front of them. Right in front of them. Rav Nassim Bachsfeigl was one of those, was one of those yidn. And he stood up in front of the yeshiva, and there's a group of young men, and at the time, I mean, anybody here who's had the merit to visit Lakewood, now, it's mind-blowing. Um, I mean, tens of thousands of, of B'nai Torah, um, guys learning in yeshiva, Kyle guys, there's thousands of people in BMG, and now people living around the whole city of Lakewood. At the time, my father, Zuchar Nebrecha, learned in Lakewood from 1950 until 1961, and Rabbi Aaron passed away in 1962. When my father left Lakewood in 1961, there were 60 guys in the yeshiva. When he came, there were 40. So in 11 years, it, it grew by 20 people. It wasn't like... Uh, but all the people there are, are... They're all who's who in the world of Torah. We, we've heard many of, their, many of their names. My father would tell me that um, Shlema Kalbach, who was an older, uh, an older bacher of Lakewood, he has pretty much had left by the time my father came. My father said he'd come back a couple times a year. He'd come back to yeshiva. So he, uh, he heard that my father was planning on leaving Lakewood after a few months to go to, go to college. And uh, he, took, he would take my father on walks to try to convince him to stay, stay in yeshiva. So years later, when my father found out that like, he's Shlaim Kabach, you know, he's not just some guy who showed up to yeshiva with a guitar. Um, and... Uh, he said he he uh, he felt like he was he was uh, ripped off because he said you know Shlomo would put his arm around him and take my father was seventeen when he went to Lakewood so he'd put his arm around him and tell him he's a Heligan Neshama and he's uh, my father felt so special he said afterwards I realized he told everybody they're Heligan Neshamas you know I don't know if I would have listened to him so much I thought like she's building me up uh, but there, everybody there all the names my father would share was a who's who so it, was, it wasn't a big yeshiva and Rasen Vachfeigl stood up. And there was a group of young American guys, you know, the, the, at that time, uh, there was already a chabra of American guys that came to, to yeshiva. And Rav Nassim said that a short while ago, 
he said this in 1962, um, there was a well-known Tamar Chacham who had a dream multiple times and told his dream over to Rav Nassim Bachfeigl. And Rav Nassim Bachfeigl, out of respect for Rav Aaron Cutler while he was alive, never told us over the story. He never told it over during Rav Aaron's lifetime. But he said, right, this right after Rav Aaron Cutler passed away, he said, now that the Rosh Hashiva, Rav Aaron Cutler, is no longer with us, I want to share this dream that the Talmud Chacham had multiple times. And the dream went like this. Mashiach is sleeping. He, he dreamt, he saw Mashiach, and Mashiach is sleeping. And the Chassam Seifer, the rabbi in Pressburg, Rav of Pressburg, he walks into the room and he taps Mashiach on his shoulder. And Mashiach doesn't wake up. So the Chassam Seifer left. Then Ravaran Cutler walked into the room and he tried to get Mashiach to wake up and Mashiach wouldn't wake up. So Ravaran Cutler left the room. And then there was some American kid who walks in with jeans and a baseball cap and he walks over to Mashiach, taps him on the shoulder and Mashiach woke up. So Rav Nassim, Rav Nassim Bachfegel told the Talmidim in Lakewood, it's 1962, he says, I want to tell you, he says, Mashiach didn't come for the Chassam Seifer, and now we know that Ravarin, our Rosh Hashiva, didn't bring him either. But he's going to come for the American boys. It's coming for the young American ladies, the young American kids that have been steeped in the secular culture of America. He's coming for us. That's what's going to awaken Mashiach. It's, the, and it's well known that the Chavetz Chaim in the early 1900s already envisioned, he said that even though we have to yearn for Mashiach and hopefully we'll have time to get into what it means. Do I have to really believe Mashiach is coming now? Or is it, what does it mean? Do I know, do I believe Mashiach is coming now? Or is it that I have to believe Mashiach could come now? There's a dispute in, in how this works in anticipation for, for Mashiach. But what's clear is Mashiach can come, certainly, at any moment. But even in the early 1900s, the Chabetz Chaim already, already envisioned that the proper time for Mashiach to come at the end, when the latest time Mashiach's going to come, the last stop's going to be America. The last stop, the Chabetz Chaim said, is going to be in the United States. And this is in the early 1900s, is during World War I. He said there's going to be a second world war that's going to be devastating for Kal Yisrael. And then he said there's going to be a third world war. And, and uh, the, he said the Torah is going to come to America. And after America, uh, after America, there's going to be a third world war. And that's going to bring Mashiach. So he, he envisioned this already. And this very much falls in line with, with what uh, Rav Nassim Vachtweigl shared with the, shared with the uh, Talmidim in Lakewood. Now, that's a, uh, you know, just opening remarks of, of Chizik. We, we already have sources within, you know, f- starting from Rav Nassim Bachtweigl, who is alive in many of us who are here, uh, or here today, live in, in many of our lifetimes. And, um, and going back to the Chavetz Chaim, it's well known that uh, the Chavetz Chaim had a constant dream of, he was always, he had a suitcase, and he was always waiting for Mashiach, he had a dream of making it to Eretz Yisrael. He told everybody, he, they, they made a Sudas Preda, they made a farewell party for uh, the Chavetz Chaim as well. And the, it, ultimately it didn't work out. He was about to embark, something happened with the ship, and then it was put delayed, and then the day he was supposed to leave, his daughter got sick, and then his wife got sick, and then the, 
the Chafetz Chaim never ended up making it to Eretz Yisrael. There's a whole backstory uh, to it, where the Reb Chaim Eiser and uh, Reb Chaim Eiser Krasinski, as well as Rev uh, Yosef Chaim Zonenfeld, who was the chief rabbi of of Palestine at the time when Britain was ruling it, they had a house ready for him. They purchased the house. They had raised funds. Everything was set for the Chavetz Chaim to, uh, everything was mamish set for the Chavetz Chaim to come to Eretz Yisrael. But it didn't end up happening. Eventually afterwards, he, he, uh, he became ill and it never panned out uh, his, his ability to make it to, to Eretz Yisrael. But th- that was his hope. That was his hope and that was his dream. And that's how, uh, you know, <laughs> that's how we as Yidin are, you know, we're, we're always yearning for Eretz Yisrael. We're always looking to see what else uh, we could do in, in anticipation and to bring Mashiach closer. Now, what, why am I connecting the Chavaz Chaim wanting to live in Eretz Yisrael to have anything to do with Mashiach? Because one of the, the, the greatest drives, and this I'm going to quote my grandmother now, my Bobby Per, it was a big drive for tzaddikim and, and big people to, to, be on the, to be on the front lines, be on the front lines during the Gulf War. When many people were leaving Eretz Yisrael, my mother would tell my siblings that were, <clears throat> that were living in Eretz Yisrael, don't leave. You have box seats. You have box seats to Mashiach. Right? You're in Eretz Yisrael. Don't leave. This is, this is where, this is where uh, Klal Yisrael belongs. All these things, Eretz Yisrael, this is very much connected to Mashiach. You should know, even the whole dispute about the state of Israel itself, which I don't want to get into too much now, but we'll just bullet it in a very brief and basic way, is at the time of the establishment of the state of Israel, there was a dispute amongst three of the greatest sages of the generation, Rav Kook, the Chazanish, and the Satmar Rebbe, all of whom we have zero in on. I'm not here to give an opinion one way or the other. I'll tell you which way we as a shul, we as a kehillah, which, which group we're part of. But there's a Pasuk in Navi that says, you're not allowed to take Israel by force if you're in Gullus. Says layalu b'chaim. This is paskin in halacha. It's a gemara. You're not. It's it's against halacha to take Israel to use any sort of offensive force to establish a gov, a Jewish government in Israel is against halacha until the time of Mashiach. This is halacha lemaisa. Okay, it's practical halacha. Nobody argues with that. So there's a big discussion about what happens starting 1948. What happened over there? So the Mizrahi movement, headed by Rav Kook, Zecher Tzadik Rav Kook brought many sources that the that following the Holocaust and the establishment of the state of Israel actually is his chalta de Geula, they call it, is the beginning of Mashiach. And therefore, not only are we allowed to to uh, have uh, go on the offensive to establish a state of Israel and their, their original wars were allowed, it was a mitzvah, which is why you'll find in the Mizrahi movement that... that um, Yom uh, Atzmaut, people say Hallel. It's like a whole to do. It's a whole to do. Why? Not because of the state of Israel, state of Israel, state of Israel. Because there's an opinion. This is his Chalta de Gula. This is the beginning of Mashiach. This is a Yomtiv. This is a holiday. And those who follow Rav Kook, that's the Psak Allah. That's fine. That's fine. The Chazanish at the time led what we'll call the Aguda movement. The Chazanish was of the opinion that those original battles were not allowed to happen. And those original wars, the state, the establishment of a government in Israel is not the beginning of Mashiach. He disagreed with the way that Rav Kook understood the verses. And he said, no, it's actually, it's, it's, he, he actually held that it was a problem, the original wars. But the Chazanish's opinion was that 
Baruch Hashem, now that we do have a state, whether it, whether it was right to initially establish it or not, doesn't matter. Now that we have it, you got to support it. It's, it. There's Yidin living there. It's protecting Klal Yisrael. So now that it's there, maybe we shouldn't have, have had those original wars, but we'll call it the, the Chazanish, who headed that good of movement, said, but now, you, now you, you support the government of Israel. The Satmarebbe, uh, the Satmar Rebbe said the whole thing was a sin. And therefore Satmar nowadays, Satmar nowadays doesn't have anything to do with the state of Israel. Even the Satmars who live in Eretz Yisrael, they love Eretz Yisrael, they love the land of Israel, they won't take money from the government. They don't vote, they don't take money, they keep a, a far distance because they say the whole thing's a sin. I want to tell you, three, three G'daylam, who none of us uh, are, none, you know, none of us are, uh, you know, privy to, uh, to arguing on or whatever, but this, is, this was a big thing, it's a big thing. Going back into the history of the establishment of, of the state of Israel. But this also explains, you should, it's important to know, this also explains why very much the state of Israel is connecting to the coming of Mashiach. Because the establishment of the state of Israel, if you follow those who are in the Mizrahi movement, this is Mamish Mashiach. The Israeli government is, is step one of Mashiach. Now, I'm, I'm, I come from Yeshiva. I come from my parents. I come from my grandparents. My parents very much fell in line with the Chazanish with the, with the uh, you know, most of the yeshiva movement falls in line with the Chazanish, and that is that Yom Ma'ot, we don't say halal here in Shul. It's not his chalta de Geula. It's not the beginning of Geula. It's not the beginning of Mashiach. So Yom Ma'ot, it's a nice day, Baruch Hashem. There's a state of Israel, and we're happy with the state of Israel, and you take part in it, and you support the government, and you support... Now, nobody argues on the land of Israel and supporting Jews who live in Israel. I'm dealing with the, we're dealing here with the formation of a Jewish government. That's the whole machlaikas. Okay? Don't I don't want to make sure we're not confused here. The, the formation of a Jewish government, whether that was allowed to, you know, to take that by force. That's, that's really where, where the Shiloh comes in. So we, we generally fall in line with our good of women. So we don't say Hal and Yomat's book, but very much you got to support this. Now that it's there, it's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And you could, you could understand the Satmar as well, the, the mainstream Satmar, who are supportive of people who live in Eretz Yisrael and Eretz Yisrael, but they just, you know, they, they separate from, from the... Uh, from the government. But very much the state of Israel, even in order to be allowed to have a state, is intertwined by saying this is the beginning of Mashiach. That's the whole excuse for the, for, that Rav Kook gave for the establishment of a, of a state of Israel. Because this is Mamish. This is, mam, this is literally, uh, this is literally uh, Mashiach, Mashiach starting out. Okay. Now let's start getting, that's a little bit of like a little bit of uh, Rav Aaron Kudler, a little bit of Chizuk, a little bit of background like you know we'll call it the politics of things now let's get into applying it into our into our personal lives what does it mean to yearn for mashiach what does it mean to prepare what can we do to to prepare for mashiach so there's a fascinating gemara in shabbos the gemara in shabbos 31a the gemara says that there are six primary questions that every single one of us are going to be asked when we are entering the next world. When we're entering the next world, there's six primary questions. Says the Gemara, Amar Rav, Rav says, When a person's going to come to stand in front of the heavenly court, they're going to say to him, Okay? They're going to say, did you conduct business faithfully? Were you a person of integrity? Were you honest? Were you honest in business? It's going to be question number one. Did you cut corners financially with people? You're a person of integrity. That's question number one. Second question is, 
Did you designate times for your ruchnias, for your neshama? Did you set aside time for Torah? For Torah Now, not did you make sure you had Torah, but did you have a designated time for Torah? Now, why is it that this is not the topic of the class, but why designated time? You know, there's many things in our lives. Yeah, perhaps I do. For me, it's, for me personally, it's dafyaymi. Okay, for me, it's dafyaymi. Dafyaymi is every day. So dafyaymi is my, I call it my daily mikvah. It's my daily mikvah. My whole day, even when I book airline tickets, and I have to go somewhere, I try to book it to try as best of my ability to not interfere with daf time. Now, the guys who come to daf know it doesn't work out. <laughs> either, either sometimes, you know, it would have to be pushed off a half hour, and then airlines nowadays, you never know what travel. It starts. But that's what that means for me in my life, and it's a schus. I'm a rav of a shul, it's a big schus. It, it comes from, from all of you. Right, that my day is able to be anchored by something in Torah. And it could be a, a chess game. Some people, right, they, they, have, they play chess once a week. Mahjong, Mahjong, is that what it's called? Once a week. Uh, uh, mincha, it could be both, whatever it is. Right? There's like something that anchors your week. You know what I'm talking about? There's like one thing, that's all my schedule. That's like anchoring me. Your mind's always on it, like, oh, I have to make an appointment. What time is this? And then I could make my appointments around that. There's such a beauty to that. There's such a beauty to that. Because this thing now anchors my life. The second question we're going to have is, did you set aside times for Torah? Not did you learn Torah when you could, but is Torah anchoring? Is there a, is, did you have a set time for that? Once a day, once a week, once a month. But that, then everything's anchored around that. Mashiach as well, as we're about to see. Also, should be something that anchors us. Something that anchors us. It's very strange to make plans. There's Yidin, and this is part of preparing for Mashiach. There's Yidin. I have siblings like this, and I know people in our community. There's people, you talk to them, they're not just saying it. They're not just saying it. They feel this. They feel when, you, when they make plans, they'll say, if Mashiach's not here. I've seen people, I've got, received bar mitzvah invitations and wedding invitations. People simply can't bring themselves to write that this bar mitzvah is going to take place on April 3rd in New York. They say, if Mashiach's not here, it'll take place April 3rd in New York. That's how they say. Because who says I'm going to be here April 3rd? Their life is anchored by Mashiach. Their life is anchored. And this is all part of the anticipation of it. Like, no. We're proud citizens and pr- proud patriots of the United States of America, but we're always yearning for something else. And this is why throughout our history, people have, uh, the, the, people who don't like Klai Yisrael, they've accused us of dual loyalty and dual citizenship. Because they're right. They're right. We're, we're grateful for this tremendous country, but our, what anchors our thoughts and our placement is Mashiach. That's what anchors us. When, what time is Daf tomorrow? And we're, same time, hopefully in Yerushalayim. Depends if, depends if we're here. I don't know if I'm going to be here. Hopefully I'm not going to be here. I don't know. I don't know. But what's anchoring my thoughts? The second question we asked is, did you designate time for, for Torah study? Were you Isaac and Peri Did you, And then we, the fourth question is, did you await salvation? See, peace of Yeshua. Did you, did you, were you anxious and anticipate Mashiach's arrival? This is a question I think that many of us really, either now or later, should, should pause 
and, and think about these, this idea. Like the, the fourth question that we're going to be asked as we're entering the next world, like we're having our opening conversation, right? First impressions over here. You know, what type of person are you? In a way, this seems like it defines me as a person. Right? They want to know, like, you know, you want to know who a person is in this world. It's strange because in this world, it's a very shallow place. So you meet somebody, what's the first question people say? What do you do? What do you do? Like, in other words, how do you earn money? How do you earn money? It's what a lot of people want to know. What do you do? Now, why how do you earn money? Not because they care about your money, but because most people in this world, what we spend our time on, what we spend our time on is business and do this. So this, that becomes our life. Becomes our life. Since it becomes our life, that's a normal first question to ask somebody. It makes sense. It's a normal first question to ask. But we have to pause and think, how am I, in my essence, how am I going to respond to that question? If I'm asked, see, peace Yeshua, were you anxiously awaiting and anticipating Mashiach? Are we going to answer yes right away? Can we answer yes without, without, without batting the no eyelashes that we have, right? Yeah, like, and, and again, we're just going to be in a shama, so there's no games over there. It's just like it either we, we, we were or uh, we were or we weren't. Now let's take this one layer. Let's uncover one more layer. And here's where it gets tricky. And the, re- and the reason why I'm saying tricky is because there have been times in our lives, in, in not in our lives, Baruch Hashem, but there has been times in our history where people were so anxiously anticipating Mashiach that it drove them to follow false messiahs. So here's where it's tricky. Because anticipating Mashiach, the Rambam writes, Maimonides writes, is one of the 13 principles of faith. Now what does it mean it's a 13 principle? What's the difference between 13 principles of faith and other principles of faith? I believe with complete faith in the coming of Mashiach, even though it's taking time. I'm anticipating it at all times. What does it mean I'm, I'm anticipating it? The 13 principles of faith, if I'm missing it, that means there's heresy inside of me. So not only is it going to be the fourth question I ask when I get up there, but also this is one of the third, for some reason, if I don't anticipate Mashiach, I'm fundamentally lacking in my Avaidah Hashem. There's a fundamental lack in, uh, in my Avaidah Hashem. And the Rambam writes, It's critical. It's a foundational idea. The Kafar Be'ikr, a person doesn't believe in the coming of Mashiach and is not involved in anticipating for Mashiach. It, it, it's heresy. It, it, it's, uh, it's heresy. So we have to ask, why is this so important? Why is it heresy? I believe in Hashem. I'm following. I'm doing Torah and Mitzvahs. Why is it heresy to not wait for Mashiach? I think it's a very strong question. Right? It's not even in front of me. It's not here. Where's the heresy? And what's so fundamental and lacking in our whole, it's like our whole religion is lacking if I don't believe in Mashiach. I want to unpack that question and I want to have, hopefully we'll have time to unpack. The second question is, what can one practically do to show that we're, what could one practically do to show that we're anticipating Mashiach? What can we practically do? Because the more we show it, the more we come to uh, we come to uh, uh, take part in it. Okay. So here we go. Let's let's uh, take this. Let's take this one step at a time. Let's take this one step at a time. 
Ramosha Chaim Lutzato, the Ramchal writes in Derech Hashem that it's the duty and the responsibility of a Yid to recognize the oneness of Hashem. Now, what does it mean, the oneness of Hashem? To recognize that everything that is created in our world is one Hashem, and everything that occurs, both good and bad, emanates from Hashem. And if Hashem is good, that means everything is good. And if Hashem, God forbid, we view Him as bad, that means everything is bad. Yichud Hashem, and we say Hashem Echad, Hashem is one, what that means is, there's no, God doesn't have like good emotions, bad emotions, good days, bad days, no. There's not, that's us, where we have departments, compartments, we're, we're broken up, we've got different things. Hashem Echad, God is one. So what does it mean, Yichud Hashem? That means everything is directly emanating from the same source. They say in this world, there's no answers. In the next world, there's no questions. Because it's just one. It's one. Everything, once you know the one, there's no questions. If you don't know the one, there's no answers. So what the Ramchal lets us know is that until Mashiach, and this is what's going to be so fundamentally lacking if we don't have Tzipis of the Yeshua, if we don't have the, the envisioning for Mashiach, is that Hashem's Achtos is never going to be complete for us. Hashem Echad, which we're so, we talk about every day in Shema Yisrael, the Hashem Echad is not going to be here to Mashiach. So if I'm not Tzipisa for that time, if I don't, Tzipisa means to yearn. If I'm not yearning and anticipating that time, that means I'm not yearning and anticipating the oneness of Hashem, which is a fundamental idea in Judaism. I'm... That means I, 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 I've grown content, I've grown content to live with brokenness. What do you mean brokenness? Brokenness in not fully connecting with the oneness of Hashem. Now let's unpack another layer of that to clarify. And that is the reason why the oneness of Hashem, if I'm not see peace of the Yeshua and yearning for that time is going to be incomplete, is because my own relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu is incomplete. And let's unpack that. Rav Yaakov Weinberg, Rashiva of Ner Yisrael, Zechrein Levracha, uh, he explains that B'nai Yisrael have, a, as, a, as a, the Jewish nation, as a people, we have a, a very unique relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And we currently have no way to express the true closeness. In today's world, there's really no complete way to, uh, to express that closeness. The way to express the true closeness with Hashem is with a Beis HaMikdash, is with sacrifices as difficult as it is for us, our, our American minds, to know what a sacrifice is, slaughter an animal, blood, like what, what's up with that whole idea? But the, the Beis HaMikdash, having the temple and, and having the Mishkan and having the Aron Abris, having the Ark, and having the, the Kayin Gadol and, and the whole structure and setup is what's necessary to have a, uh, a, a real expression of our closeness, of our closeness with, with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Rav Sham Shem Pinkas, Zechran Levracha, when Rav Sham Shem Pinkas passed away, he passed away in a car accident 15 to 20 years ago maybe. So he, he, ex, he expresses this with, he expresses why it's so basic and fundamental to be mitzipisali Yeshua, to, to await from Mashiach, he explains it with a parable. He says that if you have a, you have a Yid, we'll call him Reuven, he's a husband and father, okay? And he has a hard time earning a livelihood. One day he's offered a position in China. 
It's our position in China. So he goes to China, and he's going to have to be away from his family for the first year. At least for the first year. And they're weighing all the pros and cons of being away from the family. And ultimately, he they, they comes to a decision with his wife that ultimately, you know, they reason it's just going to be one year. They could still maintain a, a fairly normal family fabric. It's just going to be for one year. They'll email, they'll call, they'll FaceTime. And, uh, you know, and he'll maintain a relationship with his wife and children. And then over the course of the year, he'll make enough money and then come back on a more stable financial, uh, you know, uh, financial footing. And they, they agree. And he says goodbye to his family. So he's in China and everybody's keeping up their end of the deal. Mamish, daily emails, FaceTiming, calling, writing letters regularly. It's incredible. And as much as it was a plan B situation, but their, their family was ultimately functioning. They still had a marriage. They still had a relationship with his kids. At the end of the year, so Reuven calls up his wife and he says, let me tell you something. He says, this is working so well. I think I'll just stay here forever. Right? I mean, don't worry. Like, I'll still call. I'll still write. We'll still FaceTime. Why not just keep this up? Aside from the pain of that statement, aside for the pain of how the wife and children feel, you're going to call this a relationship? Says Risham Shampinkas, incredible. He says, Our current relationship with Hashem is plan B. We're in China, we don't have a base amikdash. We're not together as a family unit with our... Uh, we're married to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We're married to Klai Yisrael. Even as a unit of Klai Yisrael, we're fractured. As much as we want Achtos, we're fractured. because we're not. We're, uh, picture all of us walking together for Sukkot to the Beis HaMikdash. Every single one of us with every type of, and stripe of Jew. Walking throngs and throngs and millions of people all doing the same thing, coming together. Right? He says, are we functioning? Yeah, we're functioning. We daven, we do mitzvahs, we learn taira. We have many opportunities to connect with Hashem and we cherish every FaceTime call that we have, every letter that we write, every moment we spend with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And we do have a relationship. But that's not what it is. We need, we need Mashiach. We need, our, we need Mashiach. What is Mashiach means? The, the anointed one. We need Mashiach to come and say, no, 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 come back from China. Let's go. We're going to be together as a family unit back in Eretz Yisroh. And says Rosham Shempikas, not, not waiting for Mashiach is a proof. If I don't wait for Mashiach, it's a proof that there's something lacking for me in the future as well. That means you just don't get it. And that's why the Rambam says it's a fundamental lack. It's heresy to not be mitzapeli Yeshua, to not find things I could build into my daily life. Where Mashiach's just part of my, my, my thought process. I'm yearning for something more. Picture this family. That's functioning, but far, that's how, we're, that's how it's working right now. And, and we, need to, we need to bring this back together. So this concept of believing in Mashiach is, is fundamental. It's like a bris, it's a covenant, it's a, fun, it's a fundamental idea within, uh, within Yiddishkeit. Yeah. No. Very good. We'll go through sources if we have time. 
If there's no time, I'll tell you sources afterwards. Okay? I'll tell you sources afterwards. It does come from the Torah, but it's asmachtas. Asmachtas means, it's kind of like when rabbis make mitzvahs. So when a rabbi makes a mitzvah, not a rabbi, we don't make mitzvahs, but like Hanukkah, Purim, those are rabbinic commandments. So when the, when the rabbis made their, created their mitzvahs, they didn't pull it out of thin air. Asmachta means they look at psukim in the Torah and they use those psukim as abstract sources to show that this is what Hashem wants. But it's not a direct limud from the Torah, but we'll get into that because it, it is interesting as well. Is it, it is interesting as well. Okay? Let, let's give one more analogy to this. Let's give one more analogy. Besides for the distant family and, and wanting to come close together. I'll tell you why another reason why it's, it's foundational and it's fundamental. If you have a parent that asks a child to leave a home, doesn't make a difference if it's being done as a way to build your relationship or if it's being done as a way to sever your relationship. The answer is, of course it matters. Right? As a method of chinuch, as a method of education, of growth, if you, a parent kicks a child out of the house because I hate you and I never want to see your face again, it's a proof you never had a relationship in the first place. Sometimes you have a parent that sends a child away from the house because it ain't working and we need space from each other and you have to gr- learn how to be a mensch. You have to grow up and that ain't happening here. You have to be out on your own and then eventually my hope is that we could get back together. If Mashiach never comes, I'll tell you something, if Mashiach never comes, it turns out that God permanently kicked us out of his house. He said, see you later. You're not coming back. Being Mitzapali Yeshua is a proof that right now I have a relationship with Hashem. Because when a parent kicks a child out of the house, the parent sends a child away, and they tell the child, you need to leave but that only because I care for you and because you need to grow up and you need to mature and there's things that have to happen and one day we're going to get back together. Right now it's not working. That's a proof that we have a relationship now. Even while we're distant, it's a proof that we're in a relationship. There's just things getting in the way of us physically being together. This is us. As Gullus, if a person's not Metzapali Yeshua, if a person doesn't find ways to bring Mashiach and yearning for a greater wholeness for Hashem Himself and for us and Hashem, that means that I never had a, that God never had a relationship with me in the first place. That means God never had a relationship with Klal Yisrael in the first place. That means by the destruction of the second base of God said good riddance. And therefore the Rambam says, one of the 13 principles of faith is, when you're distant from your parent, out of love, every day you're yearning that this is the last day. Hopefully I found the maturity. 
that now I can come, I can come back and be together, as a, come together as a, uh, as a family unit. So, uh, <laughs> all right, I didn't want to get, uh, th- there's a lot more to unpack. I wanted to discuss a little bit also some of the sources of when Mashiach will come or could come, but we're going to have to uh, skip that right now because I, I want to get into some, some uh, um, halachic parameters of yearning for Mashiach so we don't make mistakes in, in how we yearn and who we yearn for, and then we'll get into practical things that we could do in our lives. So this is, uh, we'll call this a little bit of a tangent. I think I really would go right into, so what can we do to make sure that we're mitzapali Yeshua? Uh, we're going to, it's really what I want to get to. But I, I, before we say that, I want to just enter a, bring in something which is, there are halachic parameters around yearning for Mashiach. Okay, so there's an obligation to yearn for Mashiach. And there is, uh, there's really no shulchan aruch on the halachas. But if you look through the Rambam and many of the Rishonim and Achreinim, it is uh, it is discussed at length. So let's discuss quickly what does it mean to to believe in Mashiach and to yearn for Mashiach. So th- there's a few mandatory beliefs. These are chiyuvim. These are obligations. Okay. So uh, one mandatory obligation is called emuna bo. Emuna bo means I have emuna that there will be a Mashiach. That's clear. That's clear. There will be a Mashiach. The, the concept that Mashiach does exist and will come in the future is the Rambam writes, that's, that's a, a, a clear mandatory belief. Another mandatory belief layer, same belief, but another layer of that is to believe that there will be a Mashiach and to believe in the greatness of Mashiach, that Mashiach has to be somebody of incredible spiritual stature. What does that mean? And this is where a lot of people go wrong. Unfortunately, even in today's day and age, the Rambam writes what is necessary to that we believe what Mashiach is going to be. Okay? Part of Mashiach's greatness. So the Rambam writes Mashiach's going to come from base David, going to be from the house of David. So if you have a king who comes from the house of King David, who's well-inversed in all the written writings and the oral Torah. Mishnayis, Gemara. The Yachov kol Yisrael le'lech bo l'chazik bodka. And um, he gathers all of Klal Yisrael together to follow in the ways of Torah and to repair the breaches in Torah. Okay? So Mashiach can't just be somebody who's, who's somebody who's going to be sitting in a corner being righteous, it's going to be somebody who, when he comes, is going to be inspiring enough, not with his words only, but with his actions, to repair the breaches in the world of Tyra and to get Yidin to follow in the ways of Tyra. Hareza Becheska Shehu Mashiach. This person has a chazaka, there's a status. So far, there's no red flags. If the person's done this, says the Rambam, no red flags yet. Then, there are many people who have done this, by the way, right? There's a lot of bit tzaddikim who have done this. So now, yeah, that's stage one. But now, says the Rambam, somebody has been matzliach at that, has gotten the masses of Klal Yisrael together. And he builds the base HaMikdash. And he brings together Klal Yisrael. 
Now you know he's certainly Mashiach. The attacking the Asylum Kuva, and then there's a third stage where not only did he get the Jewish people together and brought the dispersed members of Klai Yisrael together, but then after that happens, the world is going to gain greater clarity and they're going to come to serve Hashem. Shenemarki Oz, Efai Chesa'amim, the nations are going to gather together. Shafa Brura, Likrai Kulam, B'Shem Hashem, Velavoid, Shechem, Echor. Okay, so these are going to be three things that Mashiach is going to accomplish before he dies. Okay, before he dies. person dies, so then you're not Mashiach. You're not Mashiach. But this is, says the Rambam, this is what you have to believe in the greatness of Mashiach. You believe that there will be a Mashiach. You believe in the greatness of Mashiach. And the Rambam lists three primary things that Mashiach is going to accomplish. The entire world will ultimately return to Hashem. He's going to restore the Malchus of David, he's going to oversee the rebuilding of the Beis HaMikdash, gather the people to Klai Yisrael. The Rambam goes on to say that the Sanhedrin is going to be reestablished, and once you have majority of, of, uh, of Bnei Yisrael, back in Eretz Yisrael, we're also going to have uh, Shemitah and Yoivu. Okay, So that's all part of the greatness that's going to be with Mashiach. Now, if we don't believe that that's what Mashiach is, we, we lack the fundamental belief in Mashiach. And there are people nowadays that lack the fundamental. They think. See, here's the problem. There are people who are Mashiachists. They're Mashiach, not only dealing with Mashiachists the way that we're, we're picturing it in, uh, you know, in the world of uh, Chabad, but there's other people who have their own Zachin that are out there. But, but you, a fundam- what does it mean to believe Mashiach? You have to look at the Rambam and say, this is all an integral part of the belief. And if you don't believe that this is what, then you don't even know what Mashiach is in the first place. That means you're calling yourself a Mashiach. You're not a Mashiach. You're believing in something else. It's not Mashiach. It's not Mashiach. The Rambam says that's not Mashiach. So you believe in something else. You can believe in something else. That's fine. Call it something else. But it's not Mashiach. Right? Two men get married. You're not married. You're not married. I don't care what happened. It's not a chuppah. It's not a thing. It's a, the Torah says a marriage is ki kachishisha when a man takes a woman. So doesn't make a difference. Somebody else might call it a marriage. It's not a marriage. It's not. People are using the same words and defining it, some, and defining it in a different way. It's not. Uh, it, it's just not. The Torah says it's something else. Whatever you want to call it. It's not. So what's Mashiach? Falls under these parameters. If it's not these parameters, it's not Mashiach. Okay. Huh? So far we've listed two parts of the fundamental belief. There is a Mashiach and the greatness of Mashiach. And we just explained what the greatness of Mashiach is. Yeah, cause the entire world to return to Hashem, restore the, the dynasty of David HaMelech, oversee the rebuilding of Yerushalayim and the Beis HaMikdash, gather Kla Yisrael together, you know, most of Shemit and Yavel, all these things. That's how you know a person's for sure, for sure uh, Mashiach. Um, there's also uh, part of, uh, of Mashiach is believing that Mashiach is going to descend from David HaMelech, okay? Um, which means that we, we, have, we know that Melech HaMashiach is going to uh, come from David through, through Shlomai. The Rambam writes that a person doesn't believe that this is the Yichus of Mashiach as a denier of Hashem and a, and a denier of, of uh, Nevi'im. Okay, now we have a... We've got to speed up. Okay, so... 
so we have to, uh, the next halacha is achakalai. We have to anxiously await for Mashiach. So what does that mean? So it's not enough that Mashiach is going to come and we are waiting for his arrival. A person needs to be anxious, uh, anxious to uh, uh, await his arrival. Now, the anxious to await his arrival is that we have to place a value in our lives of waiting for Mashiach. Like we said, it's, it's something that anchors our thoughts. We're, we're anxious for this. When you want something to happen, it's, something that you, it's not something you think about every Rosh Hashanah. It's something that you think about. Whether it's daily, whether it's weekly, whether it's many times a day, depending on a person's, where a person is with Mashiach. But it's, it's, when you're anxious for something and you want, you want something, it's something that I wait for that, uh, that Mashiach at least, and I want to get more into this, but again, like we said, Chavetz Chaim would, would keep a, a packed suitcase. Other people, other tzaddikim would, uh, would keep packed suitcase. At least there's a dispute whether I have to believe he will come or can come. At least the Yid has to believe that, that uh, Mashiach could come at, uh, at any uh, possible moments. Now, the Rambam goes on. I'm going to skip this because we're, we're short on time. There are other beliefs that Rambam writes are non-mandatory. There's other beliefs that a person... Um, could uh, could believe him, but it's not a, it's not mandatory. For example, it's brought down in in Chazal about the six thousand year thing, right? About uh, you know when Mashiach's going to come and all those things. Those are there, there's other teachings, and we should uh, believe in it. But if I don't believe it, it's not like I'm a heretic. Uh, uh, you know, if if I'm if I'm lacking uh, if I'm lacking in those thoughts. Okay. Now the Rambam wrote that one of the prerequisites for Mashiach is that he's going to build the Beis Hamikdash. This, is, this actually is a long conversation uh, amongst the amongst Chazal, amongst the sages, that the third Beis Hamikdash, some say, will come down by itself. It's not going to be uh, rebuilt. There's a fascinating conversation about this. Um, the um, one safer is. That what it means that Mashiach is going to build the Beis Hamikdash doesn't mean that Mashiach will actively lead the building of the Beis Hamikdash, but he's going to cause the Beis Hamikdash to uh, to be rebuilt. Other answers uh, brought down by the Maram Shik is that it depends on whether there's a there's a predestined time for Mashiach, and then there's there's ways that Mashiach could come earlier. Okay, the more a person anticipates and our actions, which we'll get to, let's just mention that so we don't get short on time. The number one way to bring Mashiach is to look at how we lost Mashiach. So look at how we lost the Beis HaMikdash. And we know that's from Sinas Chinam. That's from turning away from, that's from turning away from each other. And let me tell you something. We don't know this, but we all know this. It's not a chiddush, not a novel idea. When we turn away from each other, we turn away from Hashem. And when we turn away from Hashem, we turn away from each other. They always go hand in hand. Always, always, always. There has been a time in Jewish history where, where uh, maybe a short period of time where you had incredible achdos in Klal Yisrael, but very limited very limited uh, um, keeping mitzvahs. There were times, there, there, there was an era where the, the Gemara says that Klaishol deserved to be destroyed and the Beis Mikdash was going to be destroyed sooner but because they're Achtas, they were able to keep, uh, they, they were able to keep off the destruction of the Beis Mikdash. But once that fell apart, it falls apart. The way we function as a people is when there's Achtas amongst us, that always leads to greater Tyra mitzvahs. And coming closer to Hashem. And the further we move away from Hashem, that leads to further fracturing. You will never find a group of Jews that are far away from HaKadosh Baruch Hu that have tremendous, real, true achtus. It's not possible. Because you don't even know what family you're part of. If you come away from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you go away from that, you don't even know what family you're part of. So there's no such thing as, as uh, retaining achtus. You can be nice to one another and you can smile, but that's the, the real unity and being a family fabric of being Klai Yisrael, you need HaKadosh Baruch Hu in there. There's, there. there's no other way for it to work. So 
obviously one of the things we, the, the the way to actively bring a Mashiach closer before the, before his time is by working on our our chesed, our avodas Hashem, and uh, uh, as well as uh, as, as well as our uh, avodas Hashem. Um, this thing is uh, okay. I just want to me- me- go over a few things that we're not that we're not going to touch on, but I want to mention if anybody wants to search it up later. There's uh, there's a conversation of what's going to come first, whether there's going to be kibbutz Goliath, whether Klaiyos is going to come together first, then the coming of Mashiach, whether Mashiach is going to come before that. There's also Mashiach ben Yosef. And Mashiach ben David, um, you know, there's different references in Chazal about who Mashiach ben Yosef is. There's this concept that there's a Mashiach ben Yosef that's going to lead us in battle and then pass away before Mashiach ben David, uh, before Mashiach ben David uh, arrives. And what what could I do to help uh, to help uh, bring Mashiach? You know, it's been a it's been a long and bitter gullus. And practically speaking, we need zechusim, we need merits. So you know, what can we do to help bring to help bring Mashiach closer? So uh, there's a parable given that, that um, you know, if you have a, a large area full of file cabinets, very often a lot of them are useless, and you, you hire somebody to say, listen, can you sift through this, through this mess? And uh, I'll tell you what, I'm looking for something specifically, what specific document that has a lot of value, a lot of, lot of value. If you find this document, I'll give you $5 million. $5 million, you find this document. So the, this employee is clearing out all the documents, 10%, 20%, 80%, 90%. You still haven't found the document. Guess what? He's closer to finding the document. He's not giving up because he knows the document is in there. So he's not going to give up after 90%. So too it is waiting for Mashiach. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has, we, we know from Parshas Vayechi, there's a certain, there's a maximum amount of days that's going to exist before the coming of Mashiach. And the more days and years that have passed is a greater proof that Mashiach is coming sooner is a greater proof that we're closer to the treasure. And therefore, even though we've, we're so far away and it's been so many years, this is a greater proof that we need to keep our strength up. This is a greater proof that we need to work on our achtas and make sure that we do whatever we can and, and our avaydas Hashem. Because there's only a certain amount of years left. So now's when we need to pick up our game and make sure that no, no papers fall through the cracks. That's where, it needs to be, that's where it needs to be picked up. So there's an obvious question, how could we do it? A lot of previous people, uh, big people haven't done it. I think the whole question is a mistake. The whole thing's a mistake. Obviously, we're not coming off of any previous, uh, you know, we're not coming off of our, our own merits. That's not what we're relying on. We're relying on the merits of the previous generations. And there's every chesed that's done and every mitzvah that's done builds another brick to the base. Hamikdash, as, uh, as Chazal teach us. And therefore, it's just, it's being built even further. And like, this goes back to where Rav Nassim Bachtfeigl told us in the beginning of the shir, right? What's going to wake up Mashiach? Not the Chassam Seifer, not Rav Aaron Kala. It was going to break up Mashiach. Is the, the Americans. In our, in our jeans and our baseball caps and, and our American culture. And we're going to come and we're going to, we're going to be searching and we're going to be yearning for Mashiach. That's ultimately what's going to bring Mashiach. How? Because we're standing on the shoulders of the Chassam Seifer and Rav Aaron Kala. That's why. We're standing on their shoulders. We're taking, we're taking their lessons. We're taking their teachings. And, and, that's, and that's what we're, and that's what we're uh, relying upon. Ultimately, and we'll end with this, and that is... That we know that Hakadosh Baruch Hu is the our of Harachamon. He's our merciful Father. What are we ultimately relying on? Our own actions bring Mashiach. But we also know that our Tzemuna Hakadosh Baruch Hu Avinu Shabashamayim. He wants this for us more than we want it for us. It's not like we're trying to bring it, and Hakadosh Baruch Hu's like, no, you can't have it till you find it. 
It's not the way it is. HaKadosh Baruch Hu Okay? What happened in Mitzrayim, hundreds and hundreds of years, and then over the course of a few months, we're out. You have the plagues, slowly but surely, then all of a sudden, boom, we're done. We're completely out of there. Klaisol did not have the schosim, Klaisol did not have the merit to leave Egypt. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu, through his midah of mercy, through his midah of, of, uh, of mercy, took us out of Mitzrayim despite that. And there is a time, certainly, there's going to be times and we have to rely on ourselves. We don't just rely and say, Hashem, I know you're going to take care of this and I'm going to, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it to you. But there's times where we don't need as many schosim to bring Mashiach. There's times that are more mesugal. The more, uh, there's a greater segula for Mashiach to come, Tishrei, Nisan, there's times there are more Mashiach for, for Mashiach to come. And we know that there's a time period before Mashiach comes that's called Chavli Mashiach, the birth pangs of Mashiach. The same way by birth pangs, the closer the contractions that, that happen, the closer you know you are to birth, so too it is with Chavli Mashiach, the crazier the world gets. And the more tsarist, the more difficulties apply, you know that there's about to be a birth. You know that there's that the Mashiach's about to be there, so we have Baruch Hashem on on our end, things that we could do to bring Mashiach closer. Not only our yearning and our understanding and our dedication to Torah Mitzvahs and our dedication to to Avas Yisrael, to loving others again sincerely waiting for Mashiach. Not only all of those things, but also we have a Vino of Rachman, we have a Kaddish Baruch Hu. and the one thing. That specifically I, that I would like to suggest is if each of us could find ways in our own lives to use Mashiach as an anchor to our thoughts. Use Mashiach as an anchor to our thoughts. See, peace of the Yeshua. Realize, yes, we're here, and yes, it's functioning. But it's a long-distance relationship. It's not how families are supposed to be. You don't go overseas and stay there. You don't go overseas and stay there. We have to bring into our lives this reality there's nothing more that we yearn for than to just live together in one home as a family unit. Okay? We'll hold it here.